As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Well, hello. Welcome back to the Built to Last show. I am so excited for our guest today, Sierra Stockland. Welcome to the show, Sierra. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. I have so many questions. I wish we had like five hours together. I'm so intrigued by your extensive entrepreneurial background in the retail space. And now you're in the online kind of coaching and expert space. So we're going to dive into a lot today. Um, If you will take a moment to fill everyone in on a little bit about who you are and what you do today. And then I've got lots of questions. We're going to dive into as much as we possibly can together today. That sounds great. So yes, I am a third generation entrepreneur, so small business in the family. And um, my dad and grandpa owned a small business. I was always around it. We, I was born and raised in North Dakota. So um, when I was, I don't know, probably 10 or 11, maybe even younger, I just really started exploring ways to make money as a, a child entrepreneur, I guess, if you will. So I was always the one in the neighborhood having garage sales and lemonade stands and um, sold rocks to the neighbors with my sister. <laughs> my mom made me return all of the money and said I could not sell rocks. Um, but I was always looking for opportunities to make money and to just add value to things. Um, my first most formal boutique or business, excuse me, before my boutique, um, I was about 13 years old and I started an acting company, not meant to start it as a business, but it blossomed into a full-on theater company. Um, and I did that for about a dozen years. And then we were married, had a couple of kiddos and decided I wanted to get out of that nonprofit space. And my next idea was to have a store. So I wanted to have some sort of um, retail store. I knew I needed a niche. So I went into the high-end maternity baby um, category. And then a few months later, had the opportunity to open another concept right next door um, and move through a bunch of overstock and liquidation products for um, my husband's boss, actually. So we had those two concepts running. Um, I've always been really interested in opportunity and disrupting any marketplace that I'm in. And so we merged those and I created a designer outlet, which we franchised, built and grew that. Um, Once I sold that brand, um, moved into a subscription box model for boutique retailers, which then brought me to where I am today, the boutique workshop, Um, just really working with inventory-based businesses on building profitability, um, using all of my past wins and failures um, to help them move forward a lot quicker than I did and really build a strong foundation. Yeah. Okay. I'm out of breath listening. Right. Like you, I tried to say it quick. (laughs) You did a great job. Um, Okay. Here's where I want to start. You have, uh, you've done a lot in a lot of different fields and industries. Um, Obviously, you come from an entrepreneurial background, it's what you observed growing up. So, kind of sounds like natural, you'd probably go into entrepreneurship. When you go from one industry or one field to the next, one business to the next, How do you approach the decision-making around what next business you're going to start and run? Like, how do you, how do you personally make that decision? 
That's really, no one's ever asked me that. Um, I think for me, it's about opportunity. I really like to solve problems. So when I look around and see what is missing in this industry, what problem can I solve? I quickly come up with what I think may be a good solution to that. So as an example, the boutique box, this was a subscription box for boutique owners. FabFitFun was, you know, growing and, you know, stitch fix and everyone was getting these subscriptions. This was before the pandemic. So it led right into a really good season for it. But um, I thought, you know, traditional way that retailers go to market, it's not really happening. It's really expensive, especially for upper Midwest, you know, middle of the country boutique owners to leave everything and go to the East or West coast for three, four days to buy product. Couldn't we bring samples to them? Like, couldn't we close this gap? And if I were to do that, could I do it in a subscription box where they could get a box of samples? We could connect them with vendors. Um, and so that's why I launched that concept. I think the same with you know the boutique workshop coaching, looking at, I mean, there's so many coaches, but where are retailers really getting stuck and why? Why is there no information to help them? Um, and then drawing on my own experience and trying to find a solution, I'll then create, you know, something that I can solve for them and, and an offering that I can give. So that's, yeah. I think how my mind works, like where's the gap and how okay. can I fix it? And then the, like the industries and the fields where you see a gap when, with, in order for you to say yes to starting a business, like starting, not just starting a business, but starting it, growing it, running it, and then possibly selling it, which that that's another conversation. Do you choose fields and industries that you already have a particular knowledge base in or connections in? or a skill set in. So I'd love to hear like, does that play a role in your decision-making? And then here's a part two to that question, because this is something that I think our listeners are also really interested in. Do you already know, like have all the how-to? And I think the subscription box example is a good example. Like, did you already know how to run a subscription box business and like know all the ins and outs of that? So two-part question for you there. Yeah. So no, Um, when I started my boutique store, I had never worked in retail ever. Um, Subscription box. No, I had never, other than maybe purchasing a subscription box, which I wasn't really even subscribing. I subscribed to FabFitFun to see what it was about once I decided to do it. But no, it's more about, I would say connections, you know, to answer the first party question, connections and relationships are a big part of how I live my life and how I have operated every business. So when I move into an industry looking for people that are much smarter than I am, that are willing to just let me ask them questions, people that I can observe. I love learning. So, you know, right now building a coaching business, I'm absorbing really great coaches that have really great business models. And I have been for the last two years. What are they doing that makes them successful? Not that I could copy, but that I could learn from. So when I find an opportunity connecting and then learning and then, you know, maneuvering within that opportunity, I do think naturally, you know, I've moved into what I've known. So when I was done with the retail business, I didn't say, you know, like now I'm going to open a mechanic shop and build and grow that, you know, I would have no interest in that. So I think it's where my interest is, where I have maybe some information with the subscription box. I didn't know how to do the subscription model per se, but I did know how to fulfill product because we had done that. We had multiple stores and we had a warehouse and I was really good at acquiring inventory putting it and packaging it and sending it back out. And I could fulfill really well. So I knew that I had that skill set and I had relationships with vendors. So then I had a couple pieces that would make it easy for me, you know, to move into that industry. 
Yeah. When you start a new business, do you, like in your mind, like the way you, that you're approaching it and your mindset around it, do you approach a new business from the perspective of, I'm going to grow it for the purpose of selling it one day? And one of the reasons, and and I'd love to actually hear like, have you built businesses and actually sold them? I think you, I think you have, right? Yes. You have. Yeah. You bought and sold. So I'd love to hear that the answer to that question, because I find that, you know, we're both now, well, I'm in the coaching industry. I've tended to work with a lot of coaches, but a lot of entrepreneurs, I, you know, I don't think that the industry matters. I don't think that a lot of people are approaching the way they are running their businesses from the perspective of what would make my company valuable if one day I were going to sell it, I think the approach to running a company is very different when the approach is I'm going to build it so that it it's become sellable one day versus I'm just going to do this thing because I love doing it and it occupies my time. I'm going to make great money with it. But oftentimes what I see as a business coach is it's like crazy making behind the scenes or they're like the solo entrepreneur and they're they are the only thing that is actually valuable, not the systems, not the team. So yeah, what is, do you actually approach new business? I'm going to build it and run it with the intention of making it sellable, whether you decide to sell it or not. And if so, how does that dictate the way that you run companies? Yeah, definitely. I love that you brought this up because I've told so many entrepreneurs, you need to have an end in mind and that scares them. And they'll say, well, I don't know what the end is. Well, create an ending. You can always change your ending, but you need to have some sort of end in mind. Otherwise, every decision you make is based on your gut and that's the flavor of the day. You know, if you're building this to hand it down to a second generation, you're going to make certain decisions with technology or, you know, uh, vendor partnerships. And those decisions might look different than if you're building it to sell it or building it just to keep it in the family or, you know, or pass it on to an employee. So um, I do think that's really important. I would say with the acting company, I knew, you know, nothing <laughs> like owning my own business. I didn't sell it, which I'm like now, oh, I could have, cause I had great assets in it, you know, hard assets, but then I also had an amazing customer base. But when I was done, I was like, oh, I'll just close it. So learned after that, like you can always sell everything for something. <laughs> yeah. um, but with, you know, the retail, my goal was to grow. I've never wanted to build something and just have a hobby. I've always wanted to build a brand with everything. And I would say even with the acting company, I wanted a brand. I wanted to be known as the classical theater company in town. Um, and so I, I think having those, like what are important non-negotiables for you when you're building your brand, what do you want it to look like? If you don't know like an exit strategy, at least you can put that down in a vision. Like, where do I want this? What do I want the company to be known for? What do I want it to do for me and my family? Um, the boutique box, I built it to sell it. So my goal with that was to build it. And as quickly as I could to sell it, I just wanted to build, cause I, I didn't really want to, um, manage product and inventory. So the idea of having that and running, it just didn't appeal to me. I just wanted to solve a problem and then give it to someone who could take it and do much better job than me. Um, and so that's what I did with that business. Um, I had another little business while I was um, most recently um, at the D stash club. Again, another problem, you know, retailers have this massive problem. They can't get rid of their inventory. What do I do with old inventory? Like I could solve that problem for you. So just built it, went through beta one and two, and then sold it um, for, you know, not a lot, very quick sale Um, with the boutique workshop. It's what, you know, similar to what you said, I want to build a company that is so profitable and so, unique in its offerings and in the results we can give our clients that if an opportunity to sell came along, it would be ready. The foundation would be there. 
I would not be the reason it works. It would be the product and the systems that I teach that make it work. Um, and so that's my mindset, you know, with the boutique workshop. So again, you know, just really building those foundational pieces and thinking about, you know, where do I want to be with this? Cause I do not want to be in the center doing all the things I'm way yeah. past that in life. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of expand on what you just said about the foundational pieces and the systems and not making yourself be like the, the total magic of what's making, you know, the company work or uh, getting results for the clients. What would be just like kind of generally speaking, just to get people's wheels turning, what does make a company sellable? Like what are the areas of focus that the business owner really needs to be looking at and honing and developing so that it does make their company more more valuable if they did want to sell it or pass it along to someone else? Yeah. I mean, definitely profitability, having really good foundation uh, financials that are really clean, that you don't have to sit down with someone and explain for an hour what they're looking at. You should be able to pass over that one sheet balance sheet and they should be able to read it. Um, systems and processes would be, you know, for a coaching business, like what are your main products you sell? What's customer acquisition cost? And what does that look like, you know, to go out and find new customers? What is the customer journey? You really want to make, you know, any business, whether it's brick and mortar or online, something that's scalable because a buyer, most likely a buyer is going to want to come in and plug and play. And if they feel like, well, Sierra, the boutique workshop works because you coach. And if you sell it to us and you are not coaching anymore, is everyone going to leave? I never want a buyer to ask me that. I want them to be able to say whether Sierra coaches or Susan coaches or Diane coaches, it doesn't matter because it's the coaching product. It's the system that we teach that delivers the results. So now you know, this new company that's looking to acquire it can say, we have a huge infrastructure behind us, you know, that we're serving multiple industries or whatever. We could just take this system and we could plug and play it and it would, you know, instantly explode and it would be scalable. So um, that's what you want to think about. Same thing with, you know, brick and any brick and mortar, like does my boutique work well because I'm in it? Like do sales continue to happen if I take a vacation or have I never put anything that's in my head on paper? So every person that I teach just comes in and sits behind the counter. That's not going to be sellable um, right. or for what you want. You won't get what you want out of it. But if someone can say like, no, their product and their delivery and their marketing is so good that it doesn't matter who owns that boutique. It's the brand that works. It's not the owner. But yeah. I think owners, we, we like to be needed and wanted. And so you have to get over that mentality. Um, I hear, I'm sure you do all the time. Like yep. so many clients saying, you know, I wear all the hats, you know, and they kind of complain that they're wearing, but they want to, they get addicted to that frenzy and to that constant work and to that feeling of like, I'm needed. And without me, like you can live your life like that as an entrepreneur, but you're never going to grow. Like you're not going to see your full potential. Yeah. I, you are hitting the nail on the head. I see that a lot. Um, I also see a lot of business owners taking things very personally and also, okay, this kind of is kind of leading me into another question for you again, in your mind, you know, what is your process for di differentiating between, you know, I am Sierra, the human being and the CEO or the founder of the company, and I am my own human entity. My business, my company is a completely separate entity to me. And I believe that a lot of people in the expert personal brand coaching, teaching, like all of that industry, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of programs actually teach like you're the magic, 
-hmm. you are the magic. So we're kind of perpetuating that in this industry. And one of the things that I do um, my best to teach people is, no, you, you're a human being and you're a person and you're the leader of the company and you're the good steward of the company, but the company is something that's totally separate. How mm-hmm. do you differentiate between those two in your own world, your own mind? It's kind of like, it's actually an identity conversation in a way. Yeah. How do you navigate that? I think you have to work on those mind muscles and you have to be willing to want it. Cause I don't think if you want, if you want to be tied up, like people buy this because they love Sierra, then that's just how I'm going to build the business. It's how I'm going to show up for the clients. It's how everything's going to be structured. I honestly want my people to get results, even if I'm not around and they should be able to. And I always tell my coaching clients too, like my goal is not to keep you forever. I'm not doing my job. If you have to stay in my program forever. I mean, you can stay if you, I would say you can stay if you want. I'd love to have you, but I should be able to teach you the skills and then you move on to your next part of the journey. Um, But that's a mindset. And I don't know, it's really tough if the entrepreneur cannot detach their ego, if they're just so consumed by the feeling of like, I'm special and I'm fancy and I'm needed and I'm wanted. And that's what I thrive on versus I want my customers or my clients to thrive and you know live big and have this amazing journey. And I'm just a piece of that. And I just have some information that might help them with that. So is this one of the one of the factors that you see playing a role in why any any business, whether it's coaching, an online business expert, any kind of business is has a hard time scaling? Is is this one of those factors? Yes, no. And what might be some other yeah. reasons why? companies are having such a challenge scaling? I think it's a part of it. I think the bigger part of the scaling, this is just my observation, right or wrong, um, is really numbers related. You know, when, okay. So talking about the coaching industry, we only have so many hours. You have so many hours. I have so many hours when we trade those for dollars as coaches. So you limit yourself when you can't think outside the box of, again, like, I'm the only one who can get on the phone with them. And I can only get on the phone with 30 people a week. I'm going to run out of time. And so, you know, I can keep charging more and more. And eventually you, you know, limit yourself there too. Versus, um, you know, where, what kind of life do I really want to live? I want the freedom to compete in an Ironman and train for that. I want to be able to be outside when it's 60 degrees. I don't want to be tied to my computer. Um, And so because of that, what does that mean? And how can I put good foundational pieces in place? When we don't realize that, then we don't focus on those key performance indicators, those numbers, and we push aside the things that make us uncomfortable. So I think knowing your numbers, understanding what makes your business tick, combined with knowing that in order to grow and scale, you have to be able to remove yourself and build a really strong team. Um, All of those pieces, I think, are why a lot of businesses don't scale. But I would say, I think the most important piece of it is the number side. I think, I mean, just not understanding the metrics and the components to what a scaling entail Mm -hmm. um, financially. Yeah. So you mentioned the word team. Yeah. Obviously, I know like process and systems and the numbers are really important to you. And I want to get into some of the numbers because I know you're also a profit first you're certified in profit first. Yes. Which that's how I run my company. I'm super familiar with that. Worked with a financial coach, still do on all of that. So I love that. We'll get there. How do you approach the team piece? You know, I'm asking that question because 
I, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs start their businesses and they're all about the growth of the business and making the money and all the feeling that comes along with that. And just like you said, you know, sometimes even falling into the trap of being needed by their clients, you know, they're doing the great work out there. And then they get to a point in their business where it's pretty much grown to the degree that it's going to grow and they hit a ceiling. It's like, okay, now you need to really take a look at, yes, the systems, obviously, and team is also going to play a factor. Then we get into the whole conversation around hiring. Then we get into the conversation around leadership. And one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say is, well, I want to hire people and I just want them to do it all and come in and like swoop in and have it all figured out, not make any mistakes because I, I really don't want to work. So again, I have a bit of a two-parter question. What is your strategic and financial approach to team? And how does someone know if they should really go in the direction of having a lean team versus, you know, like 30, 40, 50 people, like a whole entire organization and empire. I think people get to that place. And when it comes to like building and running a team, they get really scared because they've never done it before. So what is your approach to the whole team part of of running a company and scaling? Yeah. I mean, I think a team is really important unless you just want to be a solopreneur and you, Which is okay. you know, yeah, I mean, if that's what you want, that's totally fine too. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to grow and you really want your business to contribute in the maximum way, having a team is so important and don't look at it. To me, that's another new challenge, right? Like now I'm going to build a team. So now I'm going to develop myself as a leader, which is a whole new challenge for me. Like looking at how can I be the best possible leader? I'm going to observe amazing leaders. I'm going to read about awesome leaders. You know, I'm going to develop that skill set and then also realizing who you are and what your strong suit is, is really important. So again, wearing all of those hats, super, you know, we have to do it at the beginning. Um, But I think we hold on to those. We hoard those hats for a long time and kind of complain and whine about it. Um, I heard this illustration that I loved. And the gentleman said, you know, sit down with a piece of paper and write down every role in your business, like, and do it in a workflow. So here's at the top. And then it flows down to here, like this work chart, and then put a circle around each thing and put your name in every box. And everyone's like, oh yeah, of course. And he said, and now find the box you least like, or you're least good at cross it off, go hire that person first. So start to build a team around your inadequacies where you don't have strengths Um, bringing that person in and don't look at them as a threat. Look at them as like an opportunity to, you know, expand someone's career or develop, you know, a business in a way that you just aren't capable of, of doing. Um, So I think team is really important as far as the financial side of it. Again, this comes down to like really understanding the foundational numbers of your business, because I believe in lean and mean as long as you possibly can, you know, um, and this was really brought home to me as I was winding down my retail business. So before I sold that brand, um, we had wound it down from multiple stores. We were um, down to one store left and we had got rid of the warehouse. I had had a team of around 14 people full, full-time, part-time. And I was down to two people and myself. And granted, we didn't have all the stores, but we still had a lot of the workload. And I just, it hit me one day. I was like, this is really interesting. We're doing almost the same amount of work with three people. So I had gone crazy. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do this when they make money, 
I'm going to hire, I'm going to hire this person. I'm going to hire this person. I'm going to give them a raise. And you try to buy affection from people. They're not doing very well, but I'll just give them a raise and then they'll feel happy and they'll stay. And I had fallen into all of these traps, didn't know about profit first. So of course I wasn't paying myself the whole time. Everyone else was getting a paycheck, but um, I realized you know, I could have done almost all the work with that we were doing with 14. I could have done it with probably three or four. Wow. And we get really lazy with the metrics and the money and the financial aspect of team. As we build money hides a lot of mistakes and we feel like, oh, this is awesome. I have a corner office and this massive team, but do we really need them? Can you be much more efficient and hire for exact skills that offset yours? Um, So that's much more my philosophy now in the the second half of my entrepreneur life. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you have to experience that, right? Like I had to have that aha moment of, wow, what was I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Even like if a coach or a mentor tells you, Hey, I would have said, I need them all. I would have said, I need them all. I have to have them. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. So speaking of profitability and profit first, you know, um, I've, I've been in the coaching industry for 10 years and revenue. And I'd be interested to hear, I always like talk about the coaching industry and people are like, Megan, it's like this in every industry, like every field, every industry, it's the same conversation. And I just laugh. Um, but there's such an emphasis on revenue and it's yes. such a vanity metric. And at least in the coaching and the online expert space, a lot of people who are teaching and coaching on business, we're not having the conversation about profitability, sustainability, um, consistency. I think that there are a lot of Obviously, we are privy to social media and what everyone says they're making and what everyone displays that they're spending their money on. Mm -hmm. And what we also know about business is that not every single month, quarter, or year is guaranteed to be better than the last. And you and I have both probably either experienced or seen you know, people kind of getting into some financial holes and ruts because they're not properly managing the money that they are making, whether it's a little, it's a lot, or it's back and forth. Right. So when we talk about profitability, how can a business, let's say a business that has been in business for a while, revenue is great. They are making multiple five figures a month. They're making six, maybe even seven figures, but profitability is not looking so hot. Where should they start making some tweaks and changes to, to really develop that that part of their financials in the yes. profitability category. This is so important. I think exactly what you said, because of social media, we see the glitz and the glam. We see whatever people decide to tell us and yeah. they never tell us when they're losing money or can't pay their bills. They only yeah. tell us the things they want us to see. I see this a lot in the boutique retail space. There's a lot of boutique forms, free forms that you can go in and you can chat or you can talk and, you know, oh my goodness, I did $15 million or I just had a, you know, $150,000 month or whatever. And all of the other boutique owners that are seeing that become so discouraged, like, oh, I'm only doing 20 or I can't get over the $10,000 a month mark. And so I just encourage them. You have no idea if that person is loaded with debt is completely not profitable, doesn't manage their inventory, you know, has, you know, nothing of that backstory. So let's focus on your profitability, starting with your margin. So that's where I would tell clients and, you know, margin for inventory-based businesses is different, but everybody has margin, right? So we just have more margin in a service-based business, less margin in like an inventory-based business, but look at your margins and then look at your expenses. And that's what I love about somebody going into the profit first model and implementing it 
it's just a drastic, like we're going to switch 180 degrees, the way that you think about the money you spend, and it will force you to cut things. So when we start profit first with any of my clients, um, one of the first things I have them do is do an operating expense and OPEX like audit, like just write everything. And I always say, do not lie to me. I don't care if you're buying Starbucks every Friday. I don't care, but I have to know the truth to help you. So I tell people, be very honest with yourself, write down everything you are spending. And then I want you to start to think about how you can cut 10%, how you can cut 20%. And so many people will be like, oh my goodness, I forgot I was signed up for that. And I've been, or I, you know, signed up for $12 in Canva and I haven't used Canva for a year. Like all these little things add up. Um, So margin, And then expenses are the best place to start if you feel like you're really bleeding um, cash. And if you are a boutique or retail, you have to get your inventory under control because inventory is really what drives profitability, the management of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to piggyback on the conversation around profit first and, you know, having a business budget, having a personal budget. I know that when I started working with a financial coach and this has been over a year now and she, we kind of, you know, I wasn't following profit first before and, you know, it was a complete 180 and it, it did become about cutting things and trimming fat. And for me, both, it was actually more on the personal side than the business side for me. My business stuff was actually pretty doggone tidy. It was more the personal side. And what it really revealed to me was how unconsciously we were spending in a way that was not even in alignment with our values. And so it was extremely, you know, it brought a lot of awareness and empowerment because Sean and I, you know, one of the things we recognize is how much money we were spending on eating out, but we are health nuts and health and well-being. And Sean's been in the health and wellness industry for 25 years. That's one of our values, but yet we were spending all this money on going out to eat with all those hidden things in those, in the food. And we were like, wait a minute, this is not even in alignment with our values. And we were just doing it so unconsciously. So that's one of the things that I really love about the profit first system and also really being on top of your numbers and having a budget. Now, here's a flip side of that. And I'm really, I'm so fascinated by how you operate and how your mind thinks, you know, in entrepreneurship, one of the things that's so different about being an entrepreneur versus being someone who's just, I'm an employee. I work for a place for 30 or 40 years. I'm going to retire. Both of my parents did that. It was not about like, there was not this mindset of abundance and expansion and growing. I mean, personally, yes, but it was like, we get a paycheck. This is how we live. Uh, Every year, we're probably going to get a bit of a raise. And my dad worked at the same place for 48 years and my mom did for 34. And obviously they made more money over time, but if you wanted to make more, you did overtime. Right. So one of the challenges I see for entrepreneurs is you're taught so much about entrepreneurship as a different mindset than being an employee. It's all about abundance. It's all about growth. It's all about expansion. It's all about investing before you're ready. But then we introduce profit first and we introduce cutting and trimming and not overspending and not splurging and not doing things that we want to do. And people kind of get caught in that world of like, but wait, I need to expand in abundance, but wait, I have to have a budget. And there's kind of like this battle How do you, you know, how have you approached that in your own life? How do you approach that with your clients? And do they ever have that experience? Yeah. So one thing you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast was the word stewardship. And I love that. I think profit first teaches you to be a good steward of the gifts, the talents, the cash, the customers, the concept that you have. So being not being a good steward of that means you run from your gut 
it's flavor of the day. You're riding the crazy roller coaster, which, you know, entrepreneurship is, but we do not have to have the highest highs and the lowest lows. We don't, we can, we can even it out a bit. So becoming a good steward. So the way that I teach profit first, um, I always say there's two non-negotiables. You have to open multiple accounts. And more importantly than that, you have to be consistent. And I say, start really really small. I don't think you can see my whiteboard behind me, but I just did a profit first class yesterday and I put everybody at 1% to start their allocations. 1% profit, 1% owner's comp, 1% tax. And I said, I know profit first says 5%, 15%, and we will get there. But what I want you to do is I want you to start at 1% today. And we're going to do that for three months. And after three months, we're going to evaluate. Can we push it up to 10? Can we push it up to two? What does that look like? And then we're going to stick with it. So um, it takes that. We want entrepreneurs to be forward thinking, fast moving, problem solving people, but we want them to also be good stewards with what they have. And profit first just helps us slow down. So as an example um, of, you know, kind of this, this mix that you said, like where we can get kind of tangled. I have a client who's doing amazing business phenomenal business owner. And she has, she's like, my, my OPEX was so tight and my margins are so good. And she was like way outgrowing her house. She's doing hundreds and thousands in sales out of her house. I have to have a warehouse. So we thought about it. We talked about it. She, you know, found a really economically um, good option. So she had that warehouse and she's like, Oh, but now my OPEX, the percent is off and it was so good. And I liked what it looked like. And I said, okay, you made that decision though with intention and with thought behind it. And yes, our OPEX is going to grow a little bit, but the sales will follow. And pretty soon that real revenue will grow, which will shrink your OPEX. That is a much different way of thinking than I'm just going to go out on a whim and say like, I feel like I need a warehouse because I'm really, really busy. And so I'm just going to get this warehouse and this one's pretty and I like it here. And that's what I'm going to do. I have no money. I can't pay my rent, which is how most entrepreneurs live. So we're still taking that, like, I wanted her to step out in a bit of faith and say, based on my history and the abilities that I have and the customer base I have, this is a wise decision. Knowing that, yes, for a while, that OPEX is going to be a little thicker than I want it to be, but I have a plan to shrink it back down as the revenue increases. And so I think that's how people can take the mindset of abundance and more of that profit first, you know, like trimming back and merge those two things and really build a a good foundation where they feel comfortable with the choices they're making. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in your own journey and how you operate and you make decisions in your everyday, you know, business and, and even the big decisions that you're making around, like, when is it time to sell something? You know, how do I know which business I'm going to start next? How much do you rely on your faith and your intuition and the gut, you, you know, you've used a lot of those words today, but then we're also talking about a lot of practicality here yeah. and like reality. And again, those are two worlds like practicality and reality versus gut intuition and what I feel like and what I desire. Um, yeah. We're not saying chop that off, right? We're not, yeah. we're not, I think we see people who are just so um, it's like a pendulum swing. Some people yeah. are just so reality practical and then other people are like, so it's all about intuition and gut. Yeah. From what I what I'm hearing you say is it's an integration of both. It's a both and. So yeah. how do you navigate your own gut intuition and faith and and trusting that and where you're being called versus reality and practicality and making like smart decisions? I I would hope to say that I'm getting 
better at this as time goes on. <laughs> um, because I am, I don't know if you know anything about the Colby test, but I'm a 10 quick start. It's the highest quick start you can be, which means that every single day, literally multiple times of a day, I can change courses and figure it out, which is great, but it's also really bad if you don't keep that in check. So what I'm learning to do as my entrepreneurial journey, you know, continues is to say, okay, I'm not going to be ashamed of that skill set, and I'm not going to hide that or I'm not going to get rid of it. But what I'm going to do is put a check and balance in place, which means when I have an idea that I feel could be a good one, I'm going to counsel with people that are wise and intelligent and that love me and that will give me good feedback, whether it's hang on to that thought for a minute or absolutely let's do it. So having that check and balance there, um, running it through a performa, like looking at does this financially make sense? So if I do this, what does that mean to my bottom line? Because I will not live again, hoping to pay rent in the morning. And like, I don't want to go back there ever again. And and so I have plenty of tools that can help with that. Um, So I think, and then living in my strength, knowing that if I do decide to do something, what are the strengths that I have? I know what those are. Um, And then finding people that can offset that, whether that be on an internal team or again, a mentorship group um, that can check and balance that. So I'm living in my strength, giving whatever opportunity I have the best possible chance for survival and growth. Um, That's what's really helped me, um, you know, in the last several years of entrepreneurship as I'm moving into multiple new chapters. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, you know, what it sounds like is you you really understand who you are and what makes you, you, and then, you know, understanding how do I, how do I navigate myself in different situations based on how well I know myself? I love that. Yes. I love that. Yes. Okay. Here's my final question for you. Similar to you. I love being physical. I love physical activity. I noticed that you were an Ironman in October. Yes. Is that, was that like a one-time thing or are you, is this like part of your life? Well, it was supposed to be a one-time thing, but now I need to beat my time. So I've signed up again. I'll be doing the half in Chattanooga in May. And then I'm doing the full in Alaska in August. Another full. Yeah. So here's my question. Um, Have you always been like athletic or into sports or no, no. So in high school, college, it was all theater music, no sports. And then I got into running and then it was just 5k. Cause I thought I could never like train for more than an hour. I just get bored and no. Um, and then last year decided to do an Ironman. So I swung from, you know, 5k only to my first full marathon being in the Ironman. Okay. That's amazing. So how does do it like giving yourself new experiences and new challenges completely outside of your business? It's in a completely different category of life yes. and living. How, how do those experiences positively impact just your overall life experience? And then how does it have an impact on maybe the way that you think or the way that you approach things or your confidence or the way that you, uh, build and run businesses. Uh, I think that, you know, my husband is a high certified high performance coach. And one of the questions that if I ever bring him into my programs, one of the questions he always asks business owner is business owners is what's your hobby. And everybody just kind of looks at him with this very blank yeah. stare. And yeah. then finally somebody will speak and they'll say, well, I love my business. My business is my hobby. And he's like, no, it's, it's not. And we can get stuck in such a rut Mm-hmm. of, you know, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. My whole identity is wrapped up in, I have to make this business work. I have to grow this business. 
And you, you have run lots of businesses, yet you're also over here, your mom, your wife, and you're training and then running in like marathons and Ironmans. Why do you do it? And how does that affect and impact your entire life and your business? Yeah. I mean, the main reason I signed up for the Ironman, well, my husband had just done one and I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And he can't be the only Ironman in the house. Um, So that was a motivating factor, but I really thought this would be a great way to bring lessons and teaching to my clients to really show them that you literally can do whatever you decide you want to do. If you have the right coach, the right tools, and the right mindset, and you're willing to do the work. Those were the things that I needed to get me through the Ironman finish. Um, I've really been working on this concept and starting to share it of living big, bold, intentional, grateful. And my life is so much more than my business. I have an amazing marriage and I loved him and he's my best friend. And I have kids that are 16 and 18 now. And we, I love hanging out with them and seeing how they're growing and what they're interested in. I want to develop friendships. I want to live a life that's really bold, which is just not living in fear because of past circumstances or current circumstances. I think, you know, over the past couple of years with everything that's been going on, so many of us have drawn in and are just making decisions every day out of fear. Like, well, this might happen if that happens, or if I do this, this might happen um, in our business, in our personal life, whatever. And I just refuse to live hidden in my basement in curl up in a ball in fear. Um, so living bold, intentional, just making really intentional, purposeful choices that are going to create a, a, a more enriched life for me. So knowing that, okay, doing the Ironman is something, like you said, it's so different than anything I've ever done. I'm going to have to learn something new. I'm going to have to listen to a new coach. I'm going to have, I'm going to find out things about myself that I didn't even know. That was an intentional choice to do that because I knew it would give me a bigger life. And then just being really grateful with the opportunities, which then circles you back around to wanting to be even more bold, you know, so crossing that finish line and thinking, oh my goodness, Sierra, you did this. This is amazing. So grateful and thankful. What else can I do to give me this rich, bold life? Mm. Um, And it just keeps circling around. So I think stepping out into that living big mentality, um, even more so recently than ever before, um, I just want to come to the end of my life and, and feel like it was just so full of people and opportunities and tears and laughing and wine, you know, Mm -hmm. just this full, rich, big life. So that's what makes me do different things and try things and meet people. I love that. Yeah. It's all about giving ourselves new experiences and what comes from that. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I'll be running my first marathon next January. Wonderful. I know. I I have a friend. Yeah. A friend of mine, um, they just, they're from the United States and they just moved back from Australia and she has two kids under the age of four, I believe. And one is just a few months old. And she's like, I want to like get back into it. And she's owned like Pilates studios. So she's used to being very active, but we all know what happens after we have kids And just need something to kind of get you going again. And she goes, do you want to run a marathon with me? And I'm like, you have no idea. I'm the most non-running athletic person on the planet, but yeah, I'll run a marathon with you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But kind of like you, it's like, you know what? It's a new experience. You get to learn so much about yourself. You've got to push through challenges. You're going to have to solve problems. And it just, Mm -hmm. it infiltrates its way into just the essence of who you are and it finds its way into other areas of your life. So I love yeah. that. So fun. I know. Yeah. Rich I think, um, yeah, just recently too, I was thinking, 
about how as adults, you know, you and I, as we get to this part of our life, we say, oh, you know, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. If I would have known, I would have, why not do it? So I just started thinking, what else do I want to do? I've always wanted to learn to play the cello. So that's on my list. I'm going to start lessons eventually. I want to learn to dance. I always wanted to take ballet. And my mom was always like, you're too tall, whatever. So I just started at Pure Bar. I know that it's not like ballet, but it's a ballet method that will help with my Ironman training. So I thought I'm just going to do it. And it's so hard. And I will tell you, when you try big, bold, intentional things, you don't always feel like you fit. So I was just at Pure Bar yesterday and I was thinking literally to myself, like I did an Ironman and I cannot hold any of these poses. <laughs> like all these gals are doing, you know, completely different muscles, yeah, different skill set. but that's really good for us to challenge yeah. ourselves to do those things. So, yeah, well, it's intentionally putting yourself in an uncomfortable position as well, yes. like yes. literally, but also figuratively, emotionally, mentally. And then it, it actually does help you get over the things you're afraid of in like your business and entrepreneurship or asking, like making yes. bigger asks of people. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That's why I do those things. I love it. I love it. Uh, this has been such a phenomenal conversation. We can like, just keep going on and I on. I know. I could flip it and start interviewing you. Yeah, I'd love right? visiting well, with you. It's we'll have great. to do that. We'll have yes, to do that. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and maybe I'll come visit you because now you're you're near where my brother lives in Tennessee. Yes. So oh, please. We'll if you happen. come, I love having coffee with people I met or a glass of wine and just chatting. It's great. It yeah. enriches life. We'll have to do that. So the next time I go, I will you send you me up. a message. Okay. I will. I will. So if anyone wants to uh, follow you, find you, I know you've got a podcast, you've got an, you've got incredible programs that you offer as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Where can we find you? Where can people yeah. follow you? What do you have going on? So Instagram is a great way to keep up with what I'm doing. I'm just C Stockland. Probably the best website would be sierrastockland.com. Um, I have my links, podcast links there and blogs and all my programs um, or the boutiqueworkshop.com. Either of those will give you a good taste of what I have. I know over at the boutique workshop, we have a couple of free masterclasses, a free profit first masterclass if you're interested in dabbling in profit first. Um, yeah. So just come check me out, reach out to me. I'd love to help you with any of your business questions um, or just what you're working on in your life. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Sierra. Thank you. I'll see you later. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.